Hello, and welcome to another episode of Lifting the Fog, a podcast that hopes to become a collection of conversations offering support and connecting individuals affected by childhood cancer. So in this week's episode, I'm joined by Alex Long. Alex is a social worker in a pediatric hematology oncology clinic. Um, Alex got her bachelor's degree in human development and family studies. She's got a minor in psych and dance and her master's in social work. So um, this week, Alex and I sat down to talk about her role as a social worker, maybe some misconceptions about what her role can offer families, um, resources for oncology families, and just a lot of conversation around how isolating a cancer diagnosis can feel for our families. Um, In this week's episode, Alec mentions how life doesn't just stop once you have a cancer diagnosis, and I felt like that was a really prolific um, statement and um, kind of led our conversation into a lot of different places, but um, I just really enjoyed this conversation um, because I think it lends to what feels like sort of an ongoing theme with the pod lately with um, adversity, building character, and just asking for help and that it's okay and and frankly necessary when you're working through this through this um, cancer journey. So I hope that families out there can listen to this week's pod and know that there are resources out there and people that want to hear and help you. Um, you know, find whether it be finding resources or just ways to cope. Um, Alex is a pretty genuine soul, and I think that you'll feel that um, in this week's conversation. Um, super dedicated to her work with families um, that are impacted by cancer. So, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Lifting the Fog. Without further ado, Alex Long. Okay, we're recording. Mm. Sweet. (laughs) (laughs) So today I'm joined by Alex Long. Alex is a social worker um, here in our hematology oncology clinic. So thanks for joining us, Alex. Of course. (laughs) Um, So I wonder if we can just start the conversation with how you got into this field, how you became a social worker. I was reading through kind of in the pre-interview form where you, you know, wrote down your credentials and your background and you've got, you know, it was interesting. I know that you um, went to, you did school for dance or you minored in dance. I did. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you, how did you become a social worker? (laughs) Um, it's just such a multitude of things. I would say from the time that I was really young and I hear this with a lot of my social work colleagues and things like that, I was sort of that friend growing up that was the advice giver and Mm -hmm. things. And so Mm -hmm. I always kind of, um, enjoyed, I was always a listener ever since I've been a little kid, just yeah. an observer more than a talker, if yeah. that makes sense, which uh-huh. makes things like this weird. Uh-huh. Um, You're doing great. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, definitely just love to observe and love to kind of take everything in and assess. Yeah. What a thought. Um, and so, and then in high school, actually middle school through high school, I would say I had um, a significant amount of friends with mental health struggles, mm-hmm. um, and their family members and things like that. And, um, just kind of saw some pretty hard things, but mm-hmm. it also interested, it interested me and it made me want to be there. Um, whereas a lot of friends and things like that, especially when you're that age, maybe would shy away from the hard stuff, which is totally appropriate and yeah. understandable. I kind of leaned in gravitated. Yeah. yeah. So 
that and then an AP psych class in high school my sophomore year, I remember. Um, my teacher was great, and I really gravitated toward that as yeah. well. Um, that kind of helped me um, decide what I wanted to go to school for, which I thought was going to be psychology. I mm-hmm. started majoring in that mm-hmm. um, and then threw that out once I um, realized that there was a major called um, human development and family studies. So I got into that. Love that. Um, and where'd you go to school? IU, Bloomington. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So loved that. Perfect major. Um, it was really awesome. Learned a lot. Uh, about families and development, <laughs> which you would hope. Yeah. Um, and I did minor in dance. I thought I wanted to be a dance movement therapist for a while, too. Wow. So yeah. Um, but that's a hard field. It's very sure. small and yeah. a little limiting. So, yeah. yeah. Um, kind of through, actually through a dance company I was in, I met someone who was getting their master's in social work, and she helped me greatly understand that social work was a lot more broad than I thought it was. Sure. Yeah. I thought it was all sort of child welfare, DCS, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and she kind of helped me understand that I could be a therapist. I could be a lot of different things. Um, work in a variety of settings. uh Yeah. Yeah. I mean, schools and, Mm -hmm. and child welfare and, um, community advocacy, government, you know, so many different lanes that I didn't realize were available. So she kind of helped me uh, decide that I wanted to apply for my master's in social work. Okay. And from there, I really got interested in the health field, uh-huh. healthcare field, and here I am. Okay. <laughs> and so is this your first, in the hospital setting, your first job out of school? Job out of school, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Out of my master's. I did work in a school uh, with my bachelor's for a while as a life skills specialist. Loved that. Um Yeah. But there was a lot to be desired for me that I found in healthcare and kind of getting my master's that I found more value added for me. Yeah. And always you were interested in pediatric. Yeah. Yeah. It was. I have always done things with kids. Yeah. Um, Always worked with kids and families. And I think that's kind of part of it. My history or my background in the family studies realm. Um, You can, you work with families anywhere Mm -hmm. as a social worker, typically, Mm -hmm. um, but I definitely, you are guaranteed to work with the families in Pete's. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's no escaping that. And yeah. So that's, I really enjoyed that, um, knowing that that was what to look forward to in this setting. So I feel really lucky. Yeah. I used to want to be a social worker. Really? Yeah. I will. I changed my major. You like, would be such a good social oh, worker. Thanks. You, you would, would be such a good social worker. <laughs> <laughs> Teacher, social worker. You yeah. know, it's under the same umbrella of like listeners. Oh, and, for sure. Yeah. Caregivers. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And I think similarly, social work and teaching almost feel like, I don't know if you came, um, you know, experience this, but I think mm-hmm. both fields, a lot of people will discourage you from them. Yes. For lots of reasons, yes. like hardworking mm-hmm. and underpaid or, oh, yeah. um, yeah. So did I you, did you come you into me. contact with that quite a bit? <laughs> oh yeah. 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 I can't tell you how many times I've heard, you know, oh wow. So you're not in it for the money. Yeah. <laughs> things like that. Which yeah. is, it's true. Yeah. Um, and you do get a lot of warnings for that. And that's why I was very, I do feel very fortunate about having that mentor um, in college and my undergrad that Mm -hmm. sort of saw my heart, saw me as who I was and knew that that wasn't an issue for me um, and definitely could see that this was the right field. And so she really helped me understand more about 
what it did entail and what I do find important. And yeah, so yeah, money, no, not so no. much. And the, but that work the is just kind of embedded yeah. in your heart. And oh, I yeah. feel like people are just sort of meant for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the other stuff, I hear it all the time. Yeah. As I'm sure you still yeah, do similarly. too as a teacher. Uh-huh. But, uh-huh. you know, we just kind of push on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so in a medical setting and specifically you work in a hematology oncology clinic, what's your role look like? What's your day to day work look like? Sure. Um, it never looks the same, Mm -hmm. which is also something that I always heard before getting in the field. And I liked that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, every day is different because we have, you know, different, um, teams kind of primarily have their appointments set up every day. Yeah. And so, um, I do a lot of phone calls, to be honest. I do a lot of that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, I take consults every day. Um, mm-hmm. People page me and, you know, say, hey, so-and-so would like to see you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can walk in into an exam room and talk about things from financial difficulties to it's a new diagnosis and they just kind of want to know what does this look like? What is this journey? Sure. And just kind of helping them navigate that. Mm-hmm. Um to, oh my goodness, just anything. I can walk into a room and talk about anything. Sky's the limit. Yeah. <laughs> I really never yeah. know what to expect. Yeah. Um, but I definitely don't ever really have a set schedule aside from meetings and things like that. Sure. Um, cause I do go to all of the team meetings, leukemia, neuroonc, uh, stem cell transplant and solid tumor. So I, have. Which is probably a good place for you to be getting referrals, like teams mm-hmm. thinking, yeah, this family could benefit from financial resources, yes. or mental health resources. Okay. Mm-hmm. A lot of good conversations come out of yeah. me being present at those. So, And really any team member can, can you know, page you or mm-hmm. um, email you for a referral, right? Yes. So, I get a lot from teachers. I yeah. get a lot from nursing staff, obviously, mm-hmm. doctors. Um, so what, what are appropriate reasons to contact a social worker to, to meet with a family. I mean, you talked about, um, the financial burden that this puts on our families yes. and then, you know, I'm sure many, I don't know why anybody in this clinic would be aware of resources that they can dip into sure. so that you support them with that. But yeah, what other things? Yeah. So I think at the very most basic level, just need for emotional support. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I used to do both inpatient and outpatient. So now only being in the outpatient setting, mm-hmm. um, understanding clinic flow and that you know families are trying to get in and out and things like that. It's a little less conducive of an environment to have a heart to heart and to process. Yeah. yeah. But we are in this conference room right now. This is somewhere um, that I can bring families if they want to have some private time to just sort of process. Sure. Um, Or in the exam rooms. That's okay, too. We Mm -hmm. can take the time. And Mm -hmm. I think that's something I want people to understand. And I know that our teams, um, our medical teams, definitely support that as well. Yeah. Your role is so valued. It is. I, I, I think appreciate. we all wish there were like five more. Of yeah, <laughs> I do. I, I love working here. Um, just knowing that, you know, the doctors and things like that really do value social work yeah. here in the hospital. But yeah. yeah, I mean, just at the very basic level, emotional support, um, if we need that, um, I would say uh, I get consulted for a lot of like um, legal questions, financial questions, things like that. And I always tell families and our teams as well the role of social work, you can't put it in a box and you can't really describe what it is briefly at all. 
Yeah. Um, because it's so different in any setting. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially in this setting, at the very least, uh, if you don't know who you need or what you need, then call a social worker. Yeah. Because even if it's not me, so like a lot of things with um, legal issues or even the financial stuff, sometimes when it, we get into insurance and things like that, some things actually do need to get referred out to other specialists that we do have here in the hospital that yeah. people don't know about. And I can yeah. at least set that up guide that yeah. yeah so that is definitely part of what we do for sure we're just sort of the the go-to if you don't know who to go to <laughs> yeah yeah so mental health support yes. financial support mm-hmm. um and mental health support for family patients siblings all for the it. whole family dynamic the whole family yeah absolutely we yeah. definitely look at the whole family which i love um to work with everyone i actually to be honest i would say that i work 90% with parents more than I do with mm-hmm. the actual patient. Yeah. As they get older, I do work with the patients more. Mm-hmm. Um, adolescents, that's kind of my niche anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I love working with yeah. that age group. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times, you know, we've got our wonderful child life specialists and our teachers and things yeah. like that that work with the patients. So sometimes the parents are on the sidelines just worrying about what their child needs going yeah. through this treatment. Yeah. And they're not really thinking about themselves. And so – yeah. Um, I'm kind of there to help them navigate through this since we have so many wonderful resources and people for the patients. Not to say that I don't. I love the fun stuff I get to do with Make-A-Wish and things like that. I'm also that person. I can can, um, be the one that gets the gift-granting organizations together for our patients and things, which... I really love that part. It's a, oh my gosh, yeah, such a sunshiny spot in in everything that we do. So. Yeah, it's kind of unique that a social worker could be pretty invested and involved with a family, you know, mm-hmm. let's say five different families for five totally different reasons. Typically, oh, if I'm completely different. If yeah. I have a relationship with you in clinic, it's because you have school need. Sure. Um, but you could be, you know, um, invested in working with a family for financial reasons or the next one to coordinate to make a wish or mm-hmm. the next one to offer up mental health support. So yeah, that's that is, a good point. It is, that is kind of unique <laughs> that you would wear like different hats with a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. with different families. Yeah. I feel unique. like our families probably see us in, um, very different ways for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. Which also, um, kind of a good segue. Cause there was a, you know, one of the questions I wanted to ask you were just misconceptions maybe that people have mm-hmm. with social work. And so I'm sure that makes it, you know, your role easy to have misconceptions because you do offer so many things. Absolutely. Um, I know that, you know, earlier this year, I can remember an incident in clinic where a patient just, um, you know, had a hard time with a p- procedure and, and mom um, needed some support. And mm-hmm. you walk into the room and mom's like, well, what did I do wrong? Social right. work is here. Right. And it's like, exactly. no, I, I'm here to, to help and make sure you're yeah. okay. Exactly. Um, so I'm sure, um, or I've heard families say that they think that maybe social work is just to help with finances or, or because right. you're doing something wrong or, mm-hmm. um, but certainly that's not the case. It is not. Yes. <laughs> Do you feel that a lot in your role meeting families? They're like, you know, unsure of what you could offer maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unsure. Definitely. Yes. Um, the misconception, let's just say it, the misconception a lot of times with social work, people assume they're just there to take your kids yeah, <laughs> or to yeah. call DCS for them to take your kids. Yeah. And that is not the case. It yeah. is part of our role to make sure that we ensure safety. Um, it's one of the most important part of our role yeah. um, here in the hospital for sure. So um, that is 
definitely on the table for mm-hmm. when it needs to be. But nine times out of 10, especially in this population, it is not. Yeah. Um, and so I do feel that our teams do a wonderful job at setting us up for success with families as they um, meet them and discuss what resources and um services are available here in the hospital. Mm-hmm. I feel like most of our doctors and nurses are really great at um, bringing us up as just a part of the team. So yeah. not anything special or yeah. punitive or anything like that. Um, like we like social work to see all of our families. Yeah, if it's they normal can. For, yeah. for them to come in and to meet you because I do try to see all of our new diagnoses. And I know um, Beth, the inpatient oncology social worker, also attempts to do that as well if they're inpatient. And so yeah. It's just we're trying to make sure that we have a culture of social work is the norm here yes. to meet all of yeah. you for I love that for all the support and all of the resources that you could need, um, not just for any sort of yeah. you know concerns or yeah. anything like that. Safety um, that's that's secondary. It's important, but it's you yeah know, not the first thing on our minds at all. It's only when needed do we have yeah. to pull put that hat on. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it would almost seem like you know, unrealistic for a family to walk this journey, you know, without any support or, oh my goodness, or resources. There's so many different aspects on how it, a cancer diagnosis impacts on an entire family unit. Um, I don't see how anybody could go through this and not struggle with mental health, not struggle financially. Mm -mm. Um, so it would only make sense that it it be the norm for you guys to meet families yeah. upon diagnosis, every family. Yeah, very true. Yeah. It, it affects just about every branch of life for families mm-hmm. and like unfortunately doesn't stop just because something like this happens to your child. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what I tell families a lot is that, hey, life doesn't stop. And I get that because sometimes you see families, parents, you know, catching themselves when they're asking about what to do about their job and what to do, you yeah. know, especially even in the early stages. But I'm like, you're going into survival mode and that's normal. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay that you're thinking about how can I still support my family, even though your kiddo is, you know, actively getting, you know, their first round of chemo ever. Yeah. It's normal to be thinking about those things too. And that's what I'm there for to help them navigate that so they can focus on their kid as much yeah. as possible. And each diagnosis and related treatment is so different, um, but it's often that a lot of our kids in the beginning stages are here all the time. All the time, yeah. And so, of course, not only do they need to be accompanied by a caregiver, but the caregivers most, if not all the time, you know, mm-hmm. want to be here. I can't imagine not yeah. being here. Yeah. And how hard that is for parents to try to work out between themselves if it's a household, you know, of course with two parents of who's going to this appointment and and wanting to be at every appointment, but also having to have a job. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how families balance that. I, yeah. I mean, I'm in the middle of helping them balance it and I don't either. Yeah. You know, I still, and I know you do a lot of work with, because sometimes families will ask me like, who can help me with FMLA paperwork or who signs this? And I don't, can somebody write me a letter for my job? So they believe me that I'm here. So you help with that quite a bit. I do. Yeah. The FMLA stuff, um, usually our nurse coordinators, uh, fill that out, but a lot of times I get it just because I'm already speaking with the families about and having similar conversations. Yeah. So I'm happy to take it. I'm actually not the one to fill it out, but yeah, I usually do take it. Um, and then, uh, get it to our lovely nurse coordinators who fax it and do all that jazz. But when it comes to the letter writing, um, and getting more into the specific needs, um, and you know, proving that they've been here, unfortunately, 
again, life doesn't stop. So your employer yeah. a lot of times uh, needs you to prove that you have been here with your sick child and yeah. things like that. And I, I, I work with our team's confirmed treatment plans and things like that. And I will write letters all day long. You know, I love yeah. being able to just be if anything can make anything a little bit easier, I'm happy to do it. Yeah. And I don't even think people fully grasp the like gravity or how big that worry can be because so job yeah. is how you support your family, mm-hmm. how, how you may carry your insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously your child is here because they have medical needs. So that's a necessity. Like yeah. that is such a big trickling down um, important issue. And I'm sure parents are, you know, worrying about that. And then Mm -hmm. it just feels unfair that that's a big worry for them when they're worried about their health of their child. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, I think it's important to remember too, that like you're saying, having a job as well, you know, that can be a big piece of someone's identity as well. Oh, absolutely. I'm not even thinking about that aspect. Yeah. I mean, and neither are our parents. I don't think a lot of times Mm -hmm. in the heat of the moment, but I go in kind of thinking about that to also realize like, Hey, you're still a person too, just like yeah. the kiddo is going to start yeah. to have changes and not, yeah. you know, they're not going to get to go to school as much. And yeah. they may start to lose um, some, uh, I don't know, feeling like they have their identity and feeling like themselves yeah. and connectivity to, exactly. to their community. Whether isolated. they're patient all the time or if they have a lot of appointments, it can really strip a lot of that away. And Absolutely. we think about that a lot for the patients, but I also look at the parents and think, you know, whatever their job is, even if they are usually a stay at home mom or dad or anything like that, even that is getting changed if they're here more often yeah. than they're at home Absolutely. or than they're at work. Cause yeah. usually we're at work more than we're, at home. Oh yeah. You spend so, yeah. 40 hours. <laughs> exactly. Most of the time, if not more, uh-huh. um, with your colleagues. Right. And that can be a strong community of friends yes. and support. And like you said, identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, if that's stripped away, right. That's a lot. Yeah. And I just feel like it's important to, we can't necessarily change that because exactly like you said, our parents want to be here with their yeah. kids and everything. Yeah. And I totally understand that and support that. And we all support that in any way we can, mm-hmm. um, even when it comes to just that boring paperwork piece. Mm-hmm. But I just really also want parents to remember, you yeah. know, that we see them as who they are and what they need. And mm-hmm. if that means that they want to try to go to go back to work more after we get into treatment a little mm-hmm. bit and things like that, I've done a lot of good sit downs where it just is a lot of validating. Mm-hmm. Like you do not need to feel guilty. For wanting to go back to work more, a because money, <laughs> yeah, but also yeah. want you to be able to support your family, but also b just because maybe a little bit of normalcy is mm-hmm. okay, you know, to start integrating back into your life as yeah. well as they're trying to do that for their child. Well, know? similarly, we do so much work in transitioning our kids back to school, mm-hmm. and so much conversation surrounding around that. So. Um, you know, it's hard for them to go back into a community that might not fully understand what's happening with them. Um, not knowing how to answer questions, Mm -hmm. um, handling their own emotions well in the school environment. That's all probably the same for a parent going back to work, not knowing how to answer questions from their colleagues, Mm -hmm. emotionally getting through the day, the guilt of going back. So it's kind of interesting because I don't think Like even in this conversation, I don't think I've really thought about all of those different aspects and how hard that that can be. Yeah. Um, And 
I don't, you know, I don't really know what kind of resources are even out there for it. Do you feel like when it comes to mental health resources for parents, mm-hmm. um, that they are often asking and reaching out for those or maybe not even aware that they need those or prioritizing those right now? It's a hard question maybe to sure. measure. Well, yeah. It's, the only reason it's hard to measure is just because, like we've mentioned, every family is sort of in a different place yeah. that I work with. But I would say if I had to say a general answer, I think a lot of our families, a lot of our parents, caregivers, they they don't always know when to ask Yeah, just because they are so focused on yeah. their kiddo and on everything else. So unless they already had an underlying mental health diagnosis or something like that, mm-hmm. that they are already um, treated for, mm-hmm. a lot of times they may not even notice, yeah. you know, that that their baseline maybe has changed and that's normal and that's okay. Yeah. Um, I don't get a lot of consults like, Hey, you know, mom was reaching out for mental health resources. I do sometimes. And that's, I love when that happens because that already having that self-awareness and everything, sometimes that's the hardest part, you know, Mm -hmm. for any of us, no matter what we're going through to get started. Yeah. Um, but usually it can start with like a, just a consult of, Oh, I don't even know. We can be talking about something like work or something that's, Mm -hmm. you know, more general and within the conversation just about what we're struggling with, if it's financial or anything like that, which is very important. A lot of times though, some deeper issues can come out um, just in how we're struggling. And that's part of what I'm trained to do. And what I went to school for is just to sort of not to poke and prod until somebody starts crying, Yeah, Um, Yeah. (laughs) you know, just, just sort of, listen enough that they feel safe and comfortable if they are ready and if they would benefit from it to talk more than what's on the surface and what is, Mm -hmm. you know, just maybe that survival mode and maybe just go one layer deeper or 12, you know, yeah, (laughs) however many we need to get. Yeah. Just to kind of talk about what, what they need. And a lot of times mental health resources are what comes out of that. Yeah in addition to whatever I got called in there for in the first place. Yeah. And I feel like it's really hard for our parents to help treat that. Or not, I don't know if that sounds like such a stairwork, work, but like mm-hmm. accommodate that uh, mental health need because just insurance even, you know, when uh, you treat yeah. the child here yes, and can't treat the parent. Mm-hmm. So um, it fe- that feels like a lot of weight on like teams like social social can't talk social work teams (laughs) to offer up resources of like outside um, organizations that can support them. Um, So, and then you have to hope that, you know, it's within their network and the insurance and cover because they're already financially burdened. Mm -hmm. Um, What kind of things or programs are out there for families to dip into, whether it's for themselves, so the parents or for siblings? Sure. Yeah. So for actual mental health um, resources, so, therapy, um, seen, being seen by a psychiatrist or an MP to help with medication or anything like that. Um, I usually start with just a resource of community-based resources, but again, insurance is always a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, (laughs) um, so even to skip over that piece for myself, just because sometimes it's even out of my scope. Yeah. Um, I refer families a lot to psychologytoday.com. Um, it's awesome. It's a great website that you can kind of narrow down, um, 
based on insurance first. A lot. Yeah. I always suggest narrow that down first. Yeah. Um, and then whether or not you want a male or female to see you, um, yeah. you know, sort of even down to what specifically you're struggling with. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they get as specific as my child has cancer. Yeah. Please help. Um, but there's like but, anxiety specialists yes. and yeah. people who specialize yeah. in certain age groups, certain yeah. um, concerns. Grief counselors. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So, I love that website. I've used it myself to try to find, you know, someone okay. to talk to. So I think yeah. it's a great way to start, mm-hmm. especially since I don't have off the top of my head, oh, this person is great and would be great for you specifically, and they take your insurance. Mm-hmm. That's a way to kind of empower families to, you know, start that process on their own, and I can help along the yeah. way. But yeah, um, that's kind of what I do for more of that specific mental health okay. need, but also just for general support, mm-hmm. there are great resources. I always like to refer to, um, cancer support community, um, for support groups and things like that for parents, because a lot of times parents, caregivers, family members, they may not be ready or even need, you know, that hardcore actual, you know, mental health, um, intervention, mm-hmm. but they feel like they need, to specifically talk to someone who gets it, yes. you know, because yes. while I may be able to understand and empathize yeah. and validate all day long, I'm not a mom I, with a I'm child with cancer. Mom. Yeah. I'm not another mom going through the same thing or another yeah. dad or whoever. Yeah. Um, and so I definitely try to acknowledge that pretty soon out of the gate yeah. with families, because I think what I've found to be the most beneficial, um, just feedback wise that I've heard from yeah. families is I finally got to, even if it's not something organized or yeah. that I've referred them to, yeah. oh, I met this other mom in the hallway and you know, her yeah. kid has the same diagnosis as mine. And now, you know, yeah. we email back and forth every day, you know, that type of thing. I think we underestimate how much people want to connect with each other so much yeah, and how and much validate. that can change the journey mm-hmm. for someone, but with and everything we can't yeah just uh on our own here in the hospital group them all together and be like you guys would be great yeah so it's kind of hard to um families need to sort of reach out and want that on their own and yes we just kind of hope that it happens yeah and I think um, you and I had talked when I asked you to be on the podcast because sure. you and I were you know sitting in the provider room in between seeing patients and talking yeah. about that that is a burning need that families uh, yes have such a desire to connect with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I don't know if it's as much the kids. Maybe they don't know if that they would want to do that. Um, yeah. I don't know. And especially when you get into like middle school kids and high schoolers, mm-hmm. they barely want to connect and talk to anybody. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So, yeah. and I can feel um, awkward for them and whatnot. But I know definitely what, with our moms, I hear all the time, I wish that there was a mom group or a Mm -hmm. support group and just even coming off of brain tumor camp this past weekend. Yes. It was brought up over and over again. Then I wish that this was, you know, an option. And I think that was a part of like the dream of this podcast was be able to share stories um, in a way that families could connect with each other without me connecting them myself. Right. Like a platform to be able to do that. Yes. Um, Because it just seems like, what are the workarounds and how you can make that happen? Because it's so beneficial for moms it is. to just be able to talk, to talk to one another. Um, but yeah, I just, we, we hear that all the time and I don't know how 
to fix that or what yeah. we can do without breaking HIPAA or what other hospitals are doing. It, or- is, it is such a big concern. And I, I also think that when we are meeting these families, whether it, especially actually in clinic and mm-hmm. I mentioned before, just sort of the fast pace, mm-hmm. a lot of times, even when I try to bring it up, it is appropriately not necessarily the first thing that families, you know, when they're here in clinic want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I get more luck when we've got patients that go over to the infusion side and they're here all day because yeah. then we have more time. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times they do, they want to see me and I get consulted and then I make my way to the room and it's like, Oh, we have to talk about, you know, my job or yeah. can you help with yeah. this bill and you know, things like yeah. that, which I'm happy to do. Love it. Important. But then when I try to bring up support, they're like, oh, I don't know. I, I couldn't even think about having the time to do it. Mm-hmm. And I, it, that's also the tough part because we can't, you know, as much as I would love to physically drag so many parents that I know and love mm-hmm. <laughs> into a support group myself, I can't. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and because yeah. I know that once they would take the time for themselves and sit down and breathe and just exhale yes. and take it in, that it would be so beneficial and they'd be so glad they did it. Yeah. Um, because of everything that you mentioned, but, um, it's also very appropriate and understandable yeah. that they don't have time. And I'm a <laughs> so, mom and I think every yeah. mom would say life already seems like there are not enough hours in the day. I feel right. like I get home from work and I'm like mm-hmm. trying to quickly feed everybody, bathe them. And then it's, you know, yeah. play with them for maybe an hour and then it's like bedtime and it's just right. like life or, and then you got soccer practice and basketball. And so right. life is already busy. And then you add on this, which literally consumes your schedule. So, and that's like everybody when it comes to mental health and why you aren't getting mental health support is because of time and money. Yep. And so it's, if I already don't have time for friends or anything else or to go to work, I don't have time to go get, when am I going to pencil in talking about all of this, you know, and it it totally makes sense. And I find myself not practicing what I preach a lot of times to families. Oh, absolutely. In the first place, because we all need Yes, that support for sure. Um, yeah. So it is hard. Yeah. But I have to say once I do have those families that have been able to make the time, you know, and just or probably so glad by happenstance that they yes. do. Yeah. yeah, they are. And we do have. Oh, don't be wrong, Alex. Last. Yes. The last Thursday of mm-hmm. every month, okay. a cancer support community actually comes to us Okay, on uh, the unit on 5 West. And you don't have to be inpatient. Do you do not? That? You okay. do not. Now, once flu restrictions start up, yeah, different story. Yeah, um, and there aren't uh, children are not allowed, so yeah. it also can be a little bit tough if, if people are here for clinic. They obviously, mm-hmm. are like, or if okay, you're a single parent, yes, or, yeah. it's very difficult. Do not yeah. get me wrong, but on the off chance that it could work out, or we have a family that's local, yeah, um, and mom or dad wants to pop on over, mm-hmm. you can, and yeah, you know, um, it's at one p.m. Okay. The last Thursday of every month. And okay. um, Laura Hayes is a social worker and she runs that group. Okay. And I have heard great things about it and it's a great way. Does it have a Facebook page? Do you know? I don't think it does. Okay. Not to my knowledge. Okay. Um, and speaking of like Facebook or even just the internet in general, mm-hmm. you know, mom was sharing um, at brain tumor camp when we were talking about that and that need. Um how do I, how do I get connected with these? And a lot of other moms who from different hospitals within this like Midwest region. So it wasn't just specific to Indianapolis, um, kind of just piped up and said, 
you know, a hospital has a hard time organizing that because of HIPAA. So just do it, do it on your own, create a mom group. Um, and you know, word of mouth in clinic and just spreading it on Facebook and encouraging people in your community to share it. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to find that somewhere. And even literally typing into Google, cancer support groups in my area or online chats in my area because Mm -hmm. um, time can be an issue, but there are online support groups. You know, one mom was sharing that it was with like her specific um, hospital community started Mm -hmm. it, but they do like Facebook live chats or like zoom with each other because you Mm -hmm. can't always go. Right. Um, And then, you know, our families know better than everybody schedules are always tentative yes. and changing all the time. So Absolutely. you could think you've got a Tuesday night free and your kiddos inpatient. <laughs> exactly. now you don't. Just but to like Skype into a conversation mm-hmm. with moms, but I do always hear moms feeling like they gain a lot of strength from hearing another mom say, yeah, I feel guilty too when I can't yes. be around my other two children because I'm here in the hospital. Yes. I feel so strongly about you know, parents being able to have that support and lean yeah. on each other because I can't stress enough yeah. how much we are all us as support staff. We're yeah. here and it's great, um, but we're not. We're not going through this. And know. I think cancer is a uniquely isolating journey. Yes. We talked about this at our last podcast. So um, we, I recorded a podcast this weekend at camp and mm-hmm. um, we had the I think her role is vice president of family support with the Brain Tumor Foundation. Oh, yeah. And she's also a mom mm-hmm. of a brain tumor, longtime survivor. And she talked about how this journey is so isolating. It's like an island. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even when our families, I've heard them say when I try to talk to like close friends and family that I know love and support us, that it's like awkward. They, they don't, don't know what to say. say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to say the wrong thing. So they say nothing at all. Right. And they feel like I don't want to stress my family and friends out by talking about it. They don't want to hear about it. It's so sad. Mm-hmm. But other moms want to share. They want to. Yeah. And they want to hear. And it's in, in that it's such an isolating journey. Like maybe moms don't know oh, it's okay to feel like I'm not being an in-tune wife yeah, or friend yes, or mom to my other children right now. Mm-hmm. That's normal. Yes. Every other mom probably feels the same way. Yeah. And um, it's one thing if you or I, even if we have a great relationship with a family, say yeah, that yeah. versus someone who's actually going through it or has gone Absolutely. through it. That mentorship, that, yes. you know, just being able to rely on each other to yeah. share is yeah. so powerful. I mean, I draw strength from... I feel lucky that um, three of my really good friends, I mean, we had kids same at the same time. So mm-hmm. our kids are all, you know, six weeks oh, that's a, great. apart from one another. Yeah. So we're often sharing like, oh my gosh, my toddler just did this. Yeah. You know, is that normal or did that happen? Oh, or, oh my imagine. gosh, what are you doing with teething or what are you doing with, ta-? you know, so parenting in general can yes. be isolating. Yes. So. Parenting is a crazy journey with no handbook. So to have moms yeah. in general in your village, um, it's, it's just nice. Yeah. And it makes me, oh, I'm not a bad mom. Right. Like, oh, you guys good. felt the same <laughs> yeah. way when this milestone or age or phase happened. So sure. similarly, you know, even more profoundly with this cancer journey to be, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I am just doing my best. There's definitely no handbook for this. No. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, please find each other because yes. I, I can't tell no... you. Yes. Yeah. And in our last podcast, uh, Beth, you know, our mm-hmm. neuro-want coordinator yeah. was saying, um, and I thought it was really profound and a great thing to say to families that along this journey, they're 
you know, there's no wrong choice. The choices that you're making for your child and family that, you know, are driven by love, um, you're doing the best that you can. There's no handbook. Mm -hmm. So whether that's a choice with your child's treatment plan or, um, you know, you know, whatever, everything you're, you're doing, you're, uh, you know, you're driving with love. We're just doing the best that we can. Yeah. There's no right or wrong. It's a great way to put it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So, okay. Getting back to resources you were talking yes. about. Um, mention that website one more time. What was it? Over oh, the mental health stuff? Yes. Psychologytoday.com. And then you can find SIB support. You can find support for parents and yeah. your child. Yeah. Okay. Um, and again, not so specifically with that, could I say, like with the cancer journey, but yeah, um, cancer support community, um, oh, in addition it. to yeah. having their specific uh, support group that does meet here last Thursday of every month, yeah, um, they have so many support groups um, at their own uh, facility, which is in central Indiana, okay. so it's here in Indianapolis. Uh-huh. Um, but they have other locations as well. Just Googling them is a great way to start. Yeah. Um, but they have online support groups as well that they advertise on their website that you can kind of get plugged into. And they do get a little specific now. Okay. They have a lot for adults that are patients themselves. Okay. Um, but there are, uh, you know, links for caregivers and things like that. Okay. Caregiving support And you groups. can, I do it all the time. You can quite literally type into Google. Oh yeah. Like anxiety with my child's cancer diagnosis yep. support. And there, something's going to come up. Yeah. 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 I, at the very least, I think that's <clears throat> totally fine. And that's sort of what we're here for too, is just mm-hmm. to, if, if, a caregiver has started yeah. Googling away and they find themselves in a rabbit hole or whatever. Yes. I am always or even happy to kind of help navigate where yeah. they're at with that, what seems credible and what, or yeah. even what I've heard from other families is yeah. helpful. That's really great to say. So if you are Googling um, and searching for resources and you find two or three and you're thinking, well, I'm not sure if one is better than the other. Yeah. Ask a social worker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We're happy to help as best we can. <laughs> yeah. What are some ways that, um, I guess you wish, so we have a segment called I wish. So yes. what, are, yeah. So what are some ways I guess that, um, you wish families would reach out to you? Mm. I wish they would reach out to me. I, I got to go back to that emotional support piece. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when they do just feel like they need to process when they need that space, Um, I try to let families know, even with the hustle and bustle of clinic, you should never feel silly Mm -hmm. for asking your nurse or your doctor or whatever to to consult the social worker just because you need to talk. Yeah. Um, I don't get that very often, and I understand why, because if I were you would probably sitting love in that, that room, consult so much. I would yeah. love that consult so much, but yeah. I also understand in their shoes yeah. sitting in an exam room and understanding, oh, everyone here is busy, and mm-hmm. I'm in this medical setting, and everyone's job is so important, and yeah. they're doing stuff. I'm not going to ask for someone to just come and talk with me yeah. or sit with me while I wait during this appointment, because we all know. Um, our parents all know that they, a lot of times in clinic are sitting and waiting forever yeah. in these exam rooms waiting, yeah. you know, because the clinic gets behind. That would be a great time for yeah. me to, I would love, there's so many times I am busy, but there's a lot of opportunities I think that are missed um, during just those moments. I would love to just sit and 
accompany them. <laughs> you yeah, know? and that's probably Just what has, is your passion and drive behind going to school for this is to it have is. those kinds of conversations it with is. families. Yeah, I, I fear that I get consulted a lot of times or families ask for me only when things have gotten really hard, you know? Yeah. And I would love to be there before, during, and after, if yeah. that makes sense. Things yeah, are always going that. to be very hard, but mm-hmm. I am not saying that me sitting in there and processing with you will not make, you know, the volcano erupt when it does later yeah. because life is life. Yeah. Um, not saying that at all, but I'm happy to be there for all of it, if yeah. that makes sense. So I never want families to feel silly for asking for me just because they could use a hand to yeah. hold, you know, or yeah. shoulder to cry on, things yeah. like that, that I wish they would know, mm-hmm. you know. So, and just, I guess, one of the questions that I had wanted to ask you, what, in your experience with this population, what are some of those needs that you're hearing quite often? So, I mean, we talked about a few of them. So maybe mm-hmm. support with um, documentation for work. Yeah. Um, so that time is excused and that, you know, um, they can be here. So whether that be FMLA or, you know, just a letter. Um, So financial support. So I'm sure people, you know, get behind on bills and missing work. And so that there are resources for that. There are. Yes. There are foundations um, that are oncology specific, Mm -hmm. pediatric oncology specific, actually, Mm -hmm. um, that we tap into often way before we would even tap into just the Riley Foundation in general. Mm -hmm. Um, Just about everything that we have, they are, it is a one time per year, maybe even one time ever Mm -hmm. assistance. So the reason that you are going to need a social worker to refer or a social mm-hmm. worker to write a letter in addition to the application for that financial assistance is because we do have to use our clinical judgment on whether or not it's an appropriate referral. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I always talk to families about the fact that it is limited. So it's not like if I'm paying your rent this month, you know, that that's going to be an ongoing thing. I mm-hmm. want to make sure that this is the time you could use it the most. Yeah. Um, Cause we that, understand that kind of, things can fall behind. Yes. And seeing, having experience and seeing treatment journeys from start to, you know, finish a lot of the time, um, I can often sort of weigh in with the family as far as like, I know that this is scary right now, but Mm -hmm. we may want to hold off on this resource and use it, you know, a few months down the line, because I know you're trying to be proactive. Yeah. But we may need it more at this point because X, Y, Z, you know, just sort of talking with them, they know best what they need. Um, Mm -hmm. and I am happy to, you know, facilitate any of that, but But those are good conversations to have. Yeah. Yeah. And there are a lot of, because they've never done this before. Hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. So exactly. Not knowing what to anticipate. Yeah. It never hurts to ask. Just like I was saying earlier (laughs) that, you know, with social work, if you don't know who you need or what you need, ask us. Yeah. I also never want families to feel discouraged from asking any sort of question when it comes to that financial assistance, because I'm happy to answer and kind of help them make decisions as far as Mm -hmm. when they could utilize that piece of it. Do families reach out to social work about Make-A-Wish, or is that something that's already on your radar? Mm. 
So I try to meet every new diagnosis um, in clinic that I can, Mm -hmm. um, that I know about. And we have our red resource folders that I hope a lot of our families, if they're listening, are like, yeah, I have that because I love it. (laughs) It's full of resources. Okay. That you give Um, upon a diagnosis. mm -hmm. Okay, great. Yes. I do an initial assessment. And again, Beth on the inpatient side does this as well. An initial assessment. So just asking a ton of questions about demographics and just family dynamic jobs, things like that. Um, and then we go over the red resource folder. And within that, there is a blue section full of just all of the resources in the yeah. community that we yeah. can think of. Um, and also gift granting organizations. So I often, if I have the opportunity to meet a family in the beginning, mm-hmm. I bring it up if it seems appropriate. Mm-hmm. A lot of families, um, I make sure that they know that Make-A-Wish is uh, the Eligibility is based on diagnosis, not prognosis. A lot of families, they hear Make-A-Wish and their eyes get really big because they think that it's only for terminally ill, you know. Yeah, which is certainly not the case. children that are at the end, you know, things like that. Not the case. Yeah. The second they are diagnosed with an um, oncology diagnosis uh, and they're over the age of two and a half, they are eligible. Yeah. And that's I really great to clarify. To know. Yes. Yeah. I joke around with a lot of them and I'm like, let's milk this for all it's worth. <laughs> you deserve something yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, but of course at the very beginning, that may not be something that they're thinking about, but we can make a referral at any time. They don't have to be even close to being ready to go yeah. on a special trip yeah. or meet someone or whatever the kiddo wants. Um, it's just important, especially if they're I know, 17 years old, I make sure that we do kind of talk about it and get a referral in because once they're 18, they're no longer eligible. So, and those are good things to know. Yeah. So those are things that I'm like, I'm not trying to push you, but I also am very passionate about making sure you get every fun thing out of this that you possibly can. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is, this is just put it out there. Yeah. (laughs) A hard journey to endure for anybody. So if there are anything, you know, if there's anything along the way that can lighten the load yes. or bring a smile to the kid's face mm-hmm. to take advantage of those things. Yeah. Those are my favorite things. All the gift granting yeah. organizations, they are great. And there are a few of them that are on a smaller scale than Make-A-Wish is. Yeah. Um, and they allow for me to be more involved. And so they come and deliver gifts to the hospital and oh, things like that. And so yeah, that's really fun. Yeah. So I always love to work with those organizations yeah. and I try my absolute best to make sure every single kid has gotten a referral to yeah. all of those things if that's what they want and yeah. kind of being strategic and spacing those out for yeah. when they may need to pick me up, not doing them all at once in the beginning, you know, mm-hmm. because those are usually the most impactful, you know, when we've maybe been in treatment for a little while and could use And a, you're needing a pick me up. A little sunshine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. So would you think it would be, you know, realistic um, and a, maybe a it's a good thing to, upon a diagnosis, because certainly people may be listening to this that yeah. aren't from the Indianapolis area, hospitals all, like nationwide, Absolutely. to um, ask to see a social worker. Yes. Yeah. There are so many things. And mm-hmm. every hospital should have one. Yes. Yes. 110%. <laughs> yes. Staff may be limited. Yes. Um, and some programs certainly have more or less, but to mm-hmm. ask for one. Um, even if you may think you might not need their services, you right. may be surprised at things that are inside, like you were saying, your red folder yes. and resources that can be offered. So it wouldn't hurt mm-hmm. to ask and maybe re-ask. Treatment sometimes can be a long time, years, right. months. Um, it's so always helpful for us to get re-consulted, and reconsulted into those rooms that we, there are a lot of patients and even our new diagnoses. Again, we're trying to work out the kinks of this in clinic, but mm-hmm. I don't always know if yeah. someone is new and they're here yeah. and 
I sometimes will miss an opportunity. So definitely if, and you know, our team members, they're very busy. And so a lot of times they may not remember to consult me when yeah. they have a new diagnosis, yeah. please ask. Yeah. Yes. That a hundred percent. Um, just because even those families that I have met, um, that, and I'm saying this in quotes that don't really need me. Yeah. Um, they're not a high needs family or anything like that. Yeah. Even those, I have never had an interaction in my almost two years being yeah. here that has not been value added in some way, even if it is just at the very basic level, I'm a familiar face. Yeah. It's, I would rather someone ask yeah. for me and not really actually need what I can provide but at least they know who I am and I yes. give them a business card. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause a lot of times what they need, they may not realize until they're home. And that's yeah. as an outpatient social worker, that's part of what I can do. Give me a call. Yeah. And like you um, said earlier, you're doing tons of phone calls tons. So because yeah. things are happening, not when you're here. Yeah, It's always. okay. If you don't think of what you may need here yeah. or maybe it's not relevant for us to yeah. meet face to face, but you could really have a need when you're sitting at home yeah. for that month before you come back in. Yeah. Don't wait until then, please. I'm always just phone call away. <laughs> so, uh, I love it. Yeah. Um, I just had a thought and it just went <laughs> right out of my head. Um, definitely relatable. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm just so appreciative for, for your role here. Oh, you know what I was going to say? Um, I, and I probably say this too often on this podcast, so sorry for repeating myself, but, uh, <laughs> I just think it's important to follow that caregiver gut feeling it doesn't often lead you astray um so if you feel like you need a resource Mm -hmm. or curious if you know here's my issue i wonder if there's support for this there probably is yeah there's an organization for nearly everything especially Um, in the oncology world especially in the oncology world and we're really good at all of us in our different roles whether it be your social worker your oncologist the school teacher the nurse we're really good at saying, I don't know the answer to that, but I might know somebody that does. Yeah. So um, to ask your social worker or your oncologist, hey, this is my need. Is there anything to support mm-hmm. this? It's just a good place to start. So I right. guess getting back to that original thought and just follow your gut. If you feel like this doesn't feel right, and I I think, you know, I would benefit from resources to ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm all about it because sure. we don't know. We can't, we can't even anticipate some of the needs that our families no. have because you guys are all just so different, right? Your family dynamic is different. Your diagnosis is different. How you cope and, pro- and process everything is just different. So yeah, ask and we'll try our, you know, our hardest to help. Having that, that relationship in the beginning, again, even if you don't need anything or you don't think you do right away, yeah, that's sort of part of what I found my role to be too, is just sort of Telling families about things that they may not have even realized that they needed and just yeah. seeing their face light up like, oh, I didn't even know that was an option or yeah. I have no idea that was even available. Yeah. Are you kidding? You know, that is just kind of seeing that even if it's just a little tiny, mm-hmm. tiny bit of weight off of, you know, such a stressful situation. I'm so yeah. happy to provide yeah. information that can do that. Yeah. Um, and if it's not, you know, the, the worst, then you met a familiar face yes. and you can use me when you need me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Are there any other resources or, um, you know, organizations or anything that we want to make sure that families mm. are aware of? Well, again, a lot of them do have to, especially financial ones, you got to have some sort of referral process. Um, and, 
So a lot of times it starts with yeah. voicing that need first, yeah. and then I can come in and okay. kind of help. But I also, yeah, so cancer support community is great. Um, I use National Children's Cancer Society in CCS a lot, Okay. Um, especially for our non-local families. Um, they offer long-term gas assistance. And if Ronald McDonald House is full, they can also sometimes help with lodging assistance. Okay. Those are things that families don't often know about, and it is oncology-specific, so a pretty special resource um, that I always want families to use if they need it. Mm-hmm. Um, because that, those are the other things it's in the financial realm, but, um, travel and lodging are huge for a lot of our families because Riley's awesome. We have a lot of families that come not from From around the corner. So, but how stressful is that, you know, to have to travel hours, hours. Yeah. And often for a lot of our families and Mm -hmm. not be guaranteed a place to stay because Ronald McDonald house is wonderful, but it's not guaranteed. And I get a lot of those requests for referrals and I, um, always try to be very transparent that it may not be, mm-hmm. it may not happen. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but I want to help if I can. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, different, just again, any, any type of obstacle barrier that you can think of, there's likely some sort of assistance yeah. that is out there because, um, a lot of people have big hearts for yes. our population Absolutely. and have made awesome things happen. Yeah. <laughs> and like we were kind of saying earlier and um, in the beginning of both of our careers, maybe being discouraged from this work, well, mm-hmm. you don't get in this work right. and if you don't have, you know, if your heart's not all Absolutely. in it and you just want to help. So, right. Um, and I also will say too, that a lot of hospitals um, unfortunately can't have or don't have funding for, um, school support, um, mm. but social work can be a good place to start yeah. with asking questions like, mm-hmm. can you help with a letter? Or yeah. um, I know that we've had families say we need support even with uniforms right. um, yeah. or just resources for, for school. Yes. And um, a lot of our kids that get like radiation outside of the state, I work with social work to help with school needs. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, if you say, hey, do you guys have a teacher? And they say, no, that's right. for social work. Maybe they can help. Very true. Yeah. We, just like you all do, we act as liaisons and advocates for a lot of different areas. So I'm sure I can speak for that for those hospitals that don't have school teachers. Yeah. Our social workers all over could be advocates and liaisons in the place of, you know, we're fortunate to have you guys, but yeah. And there are school social workers as well that I'm sure they have open lines of communication. I need. I often work with school social workers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As like my main point of contact and supporting kiddos. So yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having You're me. You're such an asset to our families, and I'm so glad that you're a part of our clinic. I wish you had, and hopefully with time. Yes. Um, <laughs> you'll just get more and more just resources that you can offer families. There's never yeah. enough. Yeah. There they're so deserving of it. Yeah. I, I really, I have a lot of high hopes for just there always being that support because, again, just the... Yeah. In this role, I have found that people have such passion and hearts for our population, which gives me a lot of like just relief, um, Uh just knowing that, you know, our kids, our kiddos are Mm -hmm. remembered and cared about so much by so many people in the community. Mm -hmm. And so just kind of being that middleman is a joy and an honor. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Well, thank you, Alex. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Lifting the Fog. As always, please email us at liftingthefog1, that's the number one, at gmail.com. We want to hear from you with your questions, concerns, thoughts, and ideas for future conversations and topics to dive into. And subscribe, whether it's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, but subscribe and rate us. We would also love for you to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at liftingthefog1, and please hashtag us at hashtag liftingthefog. And as always, Lifting the Fog is an independent podcast. All information, thoughts, and opinions shared are for informational purposes only. No material on this podcast is intended to be substituted for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please always seek the advice of your qualified health provider with any questions that you may have. Thanks for tuning in.